everybody, it's Mark Bennett here from ANZ Agribusiness. Great to be with you all for the summer edition of the Agri in Focus Insights edition. I'm joined today by our analyst team, being Elena Barrett, Michael Whitehead, uh, Adelaide Timbrell from Research and Economics, and Courtney Kemp. So look forward to getting through some economic news, um, some agri news in general, and a range of key commodities as we head into the summer period. Hard to um, hard to figure where we're at in a lot of ways in in agri at the moment. We've had the Alino declaration um, made by the bureau. We have you know a series of very dry landscapes that look set to be dry if the forecasts are correct through the summer period. But at the same time, we've had a lot of the winter season in Australia actually finish off um, what was looking like a better year, but still probably a decent financial and even average to even just off average yield result for a lot of cropping Australia, thinking Western Australia maybe a bit weaker through South Australia, but still looking really promising in Victoria and Southern New South Wales. Um, I guess as we get um, into the, towards central and Western and Northwestern New South Wales and Southeastern Queensland, it's been dry still, particularly tough in areas that have come off a bit of flood the year before, but it's a real mixed bag when we think El Nino, because I think a lot of winter cropping country in Australia will still finish out of a decent financial result, notwithstanding that El Nino declaration, and of course, assuming that conditions remain sound enough as we um, uh, get through the harvest period as well. So that's a bit of a mixed story for the moment. Um, I think the other part of the story at the minute is that our, our water reserves across most of Australia are very strong. Um, and so for summer irrigation industries, the El Nino Declaration, in fact, for a lot of um, farmers might spell for decent dry heat uh, to produce good yield and, and quality produce. Uh, so that, that will be uh, suitable for a range of, of Australian farming. Um, but of course, as the spring season sort of rolls into summer now, um, and if it wasn't that good, and if you're predominantly grazing sheep and cattle, you've got the combination of poor season and um, a very rapid um, decline in livestock prices that's making operations, um, you know, rethink a lot of things at the moment, uh, and and financially that's becoming very difficult for for a lot of farming landscapes. So, so tough times in the livestock industry, and of course the big question is, um, are we at the bottom of that cycle? Uh, and if so, even if we're close, what should we expect in the next next twelve months? And it's really hard to see. I think from our perspective here, we would um, see things normalising um, above the current pricing levels where we've still got strong markets playing out um, and demand likely to be strong in the medium term still. Um, but it will be a lot about our own weather and the ability for, for farmers and graziers to hold stock. I think that will be still the continuing critical piece as to what will shift that price, notwithstanding international um, and, and consumption markets. So. 
it's a bit of good and bad and all that, but it's probably just looking really tricky in, in grazing right now. And um, I guess for anybody in that situation who were thinking of their own financial circumstances, I would encourage early communication with your bank, whether it's uh, at ANZ or anywhere else, um, to make sure that enough people uh, can assist in any way that they can to get you into another um, season. Uh, in saying that, um, I, you know, as I understand the Bureau's declaration, it really is for the summer period. We don't really know about next year's season yet, and I don't think there's any reason to think of next year being anything other than average until we hear otherwise. So I certainly wouldn't be banking on the full season next year being particularly dry or being a continuation of that El Nino pattern. I think we need to watch the data over the next couple of months and maybe quite a number of months before that becomes apparent. Um, so let's think average in the medium term and let's think how we can get through to that period, uh, again, knowing that, that some uh, areas are doing it tough at the minute. So I think the outlook's got to be positive. Um, I think interest rates have surprised some people in in the last week with one more rise coming through that that was the new world order order as um as most uh, pundits would have had an interest rate increase um come through uh we would i mean from a borrow side of course we would hope that that's the last one and i guess the sooner we can see the impact of interest rates in the economy maybe the sooner we can then look forward with confidence of um, a stabilised or even a lower medium-term interest rate in the outlook as well. And I'm sure Adelaide will talk about some of that. But, um, but for our borrowers, as we signalled, I think, in the last edition, uh, farming carrying $110, $120 billion of debt at, you know, 6 or 7% interest instead of uh, 1 or 2 or 3% interest um, really makes a big difference to people's capacity to produce surpluses um, if they are carrying a bit of debt, and, and that's just making, I think, the market in and amongst everything else feel a little bit cautious right now. Um, and I think it's okay for our industry to be cautious. It doesn't mean that we're spelling anything other than a great long-term opportunity in the sector, um, but being cautious is, is a part of uh, knowing that there are down periods that we need to navigate effectively um, and we just seem to be in one of those times right now. With all that in mind, let's go and talk a bit more economics in detail and I welcome Adelaide Timbrell to take us through that. Thanks, Adelaide. Thanks, Mark. Uh, look, the economy is slowing. This is by design. The Reserve Bank of Australia has now, as of November, increased interest rates to 4.35%, which is creating a six-handle on most debt. Um, that means that people with mortgages have less to spend on other things. Mortgage payments are 30 to 50% higher on average compared to when the interest rate, uh, the cash rate was 0.1, uh, and that's slowing down consumption, which then slows down the rest of the economy. Now, what's good about that is that the Reserve Bank's uh, battle with inflation is starting to work. We can see it in the activity side of the data, um, but it does seem like there's going to be a long road ahead. The latest inflation data was uncomfortably high, um, printing at 5.4% for the year. Uh, food actually was a little lower 
than the average rate of inflation for all goods at 4.8% year-on-year, but this was mostly due to an increase in dining uh, prices rather than an increase in supermarket prices. It's other things like gas, electricity and petrol that are really bringing up the uh, inflation rate as well as housing costs like rent um, and then travel costs as well. So still a long way to go, which means we don't think there will be any rate cuts anytime soon. There is a risk that there could be another rate hike of 25 basis points, but we have not included that in our forecast. We think it's still a touch more likely that we're done rather than that we'll need to see another hike. What's more certain, though, is that cuts are far away. We don't think there'll be any interest rate cuts until late 2024. Now, that's you know, not really the best news if you're looking for your rates to be lower. However, it's that way because of how resilient the Australian economy is. We are cooling, we are slowing, but from a very strong point. In fact, the unemployment rate is still printing at 3.6%, much, much lower than what we saw any time in the decade before COVID. And we think even at its worst, it will be lower than any time in the decade before COVID at 4.6% next year. We also think wages will accelerate a little from here, but not too much. And then inflation will come down and be back to normal by the end of 2025. The first half of 2024 and of course, even the very end of 2023 is really the peak for that messy transition period for both households and businesses, where we still have high inflation, but we also have the peak of interest rates. That's going to be the most painful part for the Australian economy. But after that, we should see things re-accelerate, get back to normal. And by the end of 2025, hopefully we'll see much lower interest rates, much stronger economic growth, and a bit more sustainability in terms of our growth when it comes to the stability of prices and the ability of the economy to keep growing quarter on quarter without government intervention. We also have a huge amount of investment in the pipeline. There's going to be a little less in the public sector as uh, government budgets are under scrutiny for inflation, their inflation impacts, but we're seeing a lot of renewable energy investment, which will bring more money and activity into the Australian economy over the next five to 10 years. That is it from me. Thank you so much. Thanks for that, Adelaide. Um, and we'll move now to some agri-commodities and introducing, as normal, Michael Whitehead. I think we're going to tackle grains first, Michael. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. And at this time of year, well, the harvest is well underway in a lot of parts of Australia. Um, it always starts in Queensland, but uh, it has started in just about every state. And it's been interesting with the industry watching what yields would be like as some parts of Australia started to think about whether they may be down because of the dry uh, or up as well. Uh, and the early indications are, surprise, surprise, that we are heading for an average overall harvest level. Now, this is really interesting when you look at the word average because we haven't really had an average harvest since about 2017, 2018. Uh, we obviously had the two years of droughts after that and then the three years of bumper crops after that. So right now we are looking at an overall grain and oilseed harvest of around 50 million tonnes, uh, down around a third on the near record levels of last year or so. Um, it is also interesting that we're looking at the yields once again being down, um, but once again back to average. So, so nothing is particularly bad news. 
What this will mean is it will be uh, provide a need for everybody down the supply chain, grain producers, grain handlers, exporters, buyers, uh, everybody who ties into the grain supply chain um, to look at their strategies again to see how they adapt to this, uh, if they are producing less off their farms after the last three years and what this means to their strategies for grain handlers. If they, once again, have less to go through their supply chains, how they adjust to that in terms of labour, how they adjust to that in terms of distribution, uh, export facilities as well. And also for grain buyers too, how they adjust to their being slightly less available on the domestic market, and particularly at a time where there may be an increased need for feed, if the drier conditions, and it's a big if, uh, persist uh, in some of the livestock areas as well. So everything on track at the moment, it will vary by region. Some will be better than others, uh, but things are looking, as we say, uh, to, to be at about those average levels. Uh, in terms of the offshore side of things, uh, and of course, what happens internationally impacts prices quite a bit. We are seeing prices having come down from where they were with the, the peaks uh, when the Ukraine crisis started and when there was uncertainty about what uh, global grain supplies would be. And they have come back down to the levels they were before then. So, so down around the two years, uh, two year lows as well. That said, and that's particularly driven by the fact that, ironically, Russia and Ukraine look to be likely to put record amounts of grain uh, onto world markets this coming year. Um, and that's balanced off uh, next to the decline in Australia, slight declines in Canada uh, to a degree in Argentina as well. But we've also got China buying in a big way and increasing their imports. So that could make the market look at what's happening and potentially put some upward pressure on prices. We've got an eight-year low in world wheat supplies or world wheat stocks particularly, and that's normally a sign for upward pressure. And if anything else were to happen and to blow up in some of the Ukraine uh, uh, crisis areas or there was to be some geopolitical uncertainty, then we could well see prices rise again. So there is a potential that prices may well not go down much lower than they are and could go up again in future. So that's the outlook for grains right now. Okay, moving on to dairy now, Michael. Um, we've covered grains, which is in pretty decent shape, you'd think, and perhaps the other um, leading commodity in agri at the minute um, is dairy, given farm gate prices have been so strong. Over to you for the expose. Look, dairy's in a really interesting position right now because so many times when we've discussed dairy over the past months and years, we've talked about the decline in national milk production and the decline in national milk production. And for once, for the first time in a very long time, we can say that the forecast is that milk production will lift slightly. Now, this is under 1%, so anything could happen, but it's been a very long time since we've said that milk production could lift. Why is that forecast out there? It's not because of an increase in the cattle herd. That's still forecast to go down by about 5% uh, next year. That is the dairy cattle herd in Australia. It's because of yields. And there is some thinking out there that El Nino particularly is unlikely to impact most dairy regions. Uh, they are normally fairly well watered, seasonally, of course, but through that period, 
and that yields could well lift at such a rate that the uh, the national dairy uh, milk production goes slightly up. So that is one bit of good news. It doesn't change a couple of the other challenges the industry has, though. For dairy farmers in particular, labour and finding it, uh, and in regional areas having somewhere to house it continues to be an issue. Uh, prices of inputs may be going down slightly, so that takes some of the challenges away, although the industry will need to keep an eye on feed prices if the rest of Australia may look for more feed over coming months to watch what's happening there. Uh, farmland prices, and with them staying high, it's a double-edged sword. In one way, it makes it difficult if farmland in dairy areas is quite high uh, to expand your operation. On the other hand, if some dairy farmers are looking to retire or to change or to sell to beef producers, then it presents them with a, a good time to exit uh, and maybe move on to something else as well. The big thing continues to be the rationalisation amongst the processes. We've seen announcements uh, that uh, at least one of the big processes is looking at uh, cutting their Victorian operations from 11 processing facilities down to five. And there really will be some observation on where these changes are, whether other processes follow, uh, who may look to enter the market or invest as well. So it really could be that 2024 is a bellwether for where the industry goes from here. How much confidence, confidence is there? What the structural change may be? How the industry could be going forward? So it's going to be a very eventful year. And once again, looking offshore, what's happening there? We had had uh, global dairy prices falling for quite a while, uh, particularly because consumer demand and especially Chinese demand was out of the market. They had risen slightly about uh, one or two global dairy trade auctions ago. Uh, they've now started to fall again. This is particularly because there is a large supply of dairy uh, and milk in the world at the moment, New Zealand particularly having just come off its production peak, and because there is still that concern about how much the economic impact is uh, making some consumers reduce their, uh, input, their intake of dairy products. But the thinking by the market is that global production level will come down, uh, the economic tightening or the consumer concern will come to an end, and things could look optimistic for prices going into 2024. All right, great. Well, a lot to look through to uh, come the middle of next year for daring. Shifting gear into the beef or the cattle market, let's say. Um, introducing Courtney Kemp to the mic to examine the state of the beef industry at the moment, its, it's outlook perhaps, and um, pretty difficult times in selling. I wonder, Courtney, are we anywhere near the bottom of this cycle or have we passed it even? Uh, over to you to explore the things you think are important to our listeners. Thanks, Mark, and hi, everyone. Um, for beef, while dry conditions and falling cattle prices have made most of the beef industry quite cautious with the ecchi sitting around 398 cents currently. There's still some comfort for Australian producers due to some emerging export opportunities and it isn't all negative out there. With the official declaration of El Nino, most indicators have increased yardings with processor cows seeing the biggest increase since September 22 off the back of increased destocking activity. This destocking is driving a premium for finished stock, coupled with higher input costs, meaning processors are paying a higher premium for stock that is requiring no further inputs. 
Interestingly enough, market sentiment is showing some confidence in a forecast shorter dry period, with producers appearing to be holding on to their lighter stock with a view to hold them through the season and be well placed once rebuild starts. With restocker yielding heifers yardings only up 14% and restocker yielding steers down 6%. Labour shortages still remain an issue for processors. However, this is not expected to impact numbers through their facilities, with beef production forecast to be up around 14% for 23-24. Um, Saturday shifts are now starting to be integrated into their operations, increasing their throughput for the remainder of the year. Globally, US slaughter numbers for 2024 are forecast to be down 7.4% due to their declining herd numbers. As they move into their rebuild phase, opportunity will open up for Australian beef into their markets. Similarly, exports into China have continued to rebound up 24% year on year with demand forecast to rise another 4.5% following further recovery from COVID lockdowns. With the forecast uh, higher Australian production numbers, um, exports are forecast to increase by a further 15% along with the surplus product being well-placed to fill lower production numbers out of the US and fill emerging opportunities internationally. While dry season conditions are forecast and prices not likely to return to the highs that we saw in 21-22, the outlook for Australian producers is still favourable with the new markets emerging from the downturn in the US and opportunities with the EU. There are still positives around the corner for beef producers in Australia. Thanks a lot, Courtney. Great summary. I'm welcoming Elena now to talk uh, sheep and wool. Over to you, Elena. Thanks very much, Mark. And hi, everybody. Look, let's just talk to a few of the factors impacting um, the sheep market at the moment. And the first, which will be of no surprise to anyone, of course, is supply. So the forecast that we've seen uh, for continued high supply of, of sheep and lambs through spring and now into summer, they're certainly coming to fruition. And that's both at the sale yards and also uh, in our processing plants across the country. But yardings of both lamb and mutton um, continuing to trend higher month on month. We're seeing producers respond to some really varied conditions across the sheep producing zones, you know, some reducing breeding new numbers, perhaps trying to manage the challenge of a dry summer ahead, uh, and then others who might be just offloading lambs a bit earlier than, um, than they might have planned and, and a bit lighter, perhaps, also than they might have liked. So what that's equating to in terms of the numbers, um, we've got mutton yardings up 32% year on year and lamb yardings a bit more modest, uh, just 6% up year on year. But we do expect those lamb yardings to really ramp up as that Victorian lamb drop starts to come into the market over summer. And of course, the timing of that will just depend on the conditions um, in Vic and things like abattoir kill space um, becoming available. Um, but speaking of the abattoirs and the processes, um, we've seen increased throughput of sheep and mutton this year in terms of slaughter numbers by almost 50%. So just a huge increase in the amount of mutton going through the system. Um, lamb, again, slightly more modest, up 9% um, at the time of writing. That's through to the end of October. Uh, however, as was the case for yardings, we do think that that lamb slaughter figure will continue to grow through the summer as that extra supply comes through. So I think that's the supply situation in a nutshell, up, up and up. So on to demand and more particularly um, export demand. Thankfully, really thankfully, um, through this time of really high supply, we're seeing our key export markets remain really robust. 
We've still got record volumes of lamb and mutton leaving our shores. And uh, we've got lamb tracking 12% higher year on year uh, for the month of October. We were only just shy of an all-time record, which was just posted back in August this year. So still, still really, really strong volumes heading out, which is really, really good. Um, in terms of where it's headed, China continues to, to capture most of our exported lamb. About 21% of the market is what they've taken for the year to date, but followed really closely by the US market. And I just wanted to call out the US um, as an opportunity for price recovery in the lamb market, because there's opportunity, I think, um, for significant recovery of volume to that market. And to put some, some figures or perspective on that, this year, we've traded on average about 5,500 tonnes of lamb to the US per month. That year, sorry, last year, that figure was more like 6,200 tonnes. So quite a difference when you add it up uh, over the year. And they're coming off a market share position uh, historically of around 26%. At the moment, the US is sitting at about 20%. So even without going over any prior volume that we may have sent to the US, there's still a gap to fill in that market once the economic conditions in the US start to recover. Uh, and of course, when and how that's going to happen uh, is not an easy one to predict. But there is light, I think, um, should that occur. Just briefly in mutton and to exports, um, total export growth of 48% year on year on the back of those really high slaughter numbers and China just playing a huge role in mutton. Uh, they're now responsible for 50% of our exports. Um, we've not seen China at that level since back in February 2021. And we've got exports to China up 74% year on year, so, so just huge. Similar to lamb though, mutton exports to the US pretty subdued. Um, there was really promising volumes in October. They were up 90% on the prior months, so almost double, but coming off a really low base. Um, so those numbers can, can sometimes be a bit out of context. And just on that US market, um, you know, you may have heard or, or read about in the media a bit lately, um, the mantra higher for longer when it comes to US interest rates. And effectively, that's that's not a good thing for Aussie sheep and lamb. It presumes a longer period of pressure on the consumers in that economy, um, where lamb and mutton are sort of a high high end food service type um, meal, which of course is highly discretionary. So whilst there's opportunity for that market to come back, um, it could be some time before we see that occur. So what does that all mean for pricing? Uh, the obvious word I think is pressure, the significant correction that we've seen across all the major indicators has largely continued, although we have seen some stabilising um, over the past six weeks or so, which has certainly been very welcome. The most resilient price category continues to be the well-finished animals, so it's the heavy and trade weight lambs, and processors are, are quite actively bidding um, for, for those stock. Um, however, the opposite is true for the lighter and restocker type animals. Um, it's a factor of where we're at in the market. We've got dry conditions setting in in plenty of places. We've got higher than, than last year or the couple of years prior feed grain prices. So it's going to put pressure on restocking and feedlotting margins and also confidence for producers to take those short-term trade positions. Lastly, just to finish off, um, there is a recurring topic of conversation I keep hearing around the sheep industry and I just wanted to talk about briefly and it's that sale yard to retail price spread for lamb at the moment. 
So the latest data available for MLA, it's only up to the end of September, it's quarterly data, shows that the spread between the retail price of lamb and the national trade lamb indicator, and those are typically the type of lamb you'll see on the Australian shelves, uh, it's at an all-time high, historical high, around 1450 cents per kilo. Um, obviously an ongoing cause of frustration for producers, particularly at a time when returns are down on farm and costs, as we know, as we know sorry, are pretty high. Um, we've also seen that spread grow pretty steadily over the past 10 years with only a few pretty minor corrections on the retail side. Um, however, um, we're yet to see any correction that corresponds to the most recent drop in sheep prices. But as you can expect, um, there is quite a lag in the processing and um, animals that go through the system by the time they get to the retail shelves. So we do expect to see some correction in December. Um, and anecdotally anyway, from, from what I see out and about, I think we are starting to see it on the shelves. So we'll, we'll watch that um, with interest. It is a long and, and quite complex supply chain. Um, and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about that spread. And let's hope it's against a backdrop of improved lamb and mutton pricing in the short term. Thanks, Alana. Certainly a complex environment, the sheep meat space, but some positives to look forward to. Uh, let's hope season helps our grazers uh, control their sales environment as well. Um, how about wool? Wool's um, off its highs, but is it uh, going anywhere in particular at the moment? Yes, thank you, Mark. We have seen wool unfortunately come off um, some of those highs and probably seen it experience sort of quite a slow or gradual downturn over the past few months as, as we head into summer, which is unfortunate. And we've got both the EMI and the WMI now trading at levels we haven't seen since sort of the COVID shock of early 2020, which rocked the wool market for just a short period before um, staging a pretty decent recovery. Um, what that looks like in cents um, at the moment, it's around the sort of 1100 cent mark for the EMI and the mid 1200 cent mark for the WMI. So starting to, to head to lower territory than perhaps where we would be comfortable. Um, three major factors impacting wool prices, they're not dissimilar to the factors impacting sheep. Um, we've got really consistent and stable global supply of wool and of course most of that comes from us here in Australia. We've got pretty sluggish demand globally um, and now we can also throw in there pretty strong competition from competing natural fibre and I'm most particularly talking about cotton. So these are the sort of three major things at play when it comes to the wool market uh, and the pressure on pricing at the moment. So on the supply side, first of all, um, we've got plenty of wool around us. We've got a forecast for around 324,000 tonnes for the 23-24 season of wool produced just shy of last year, um, quite steady on the back of that high sheep flock. And the lower returns on lamb and mutton um, does encourage more producers to shear more animals for, before, before they may otherwise be sold. And so you've just got a little bit um, more wool around in the system. Um, now on top of the wool that we'll shear off those sheep this year, we've also got surplus supplies uh, in sheds and stores. So ABARES are actually tipping exports for around 443,000 tonnes, um, which is, again, pretty steady on last year's high supply. So we've got so much wool available and, of course, so much good quality wool coming out of Australia. What we would need for a significant price recovery is really strong consumer demand. Um, and unfortunately, 
um, as I mentioned, the things impacting our um, customers of lamb and mutton are also impacting our wool customers. And when we look to China in particular as our major customer for wool, we do expect to see a decrease in demand for woolen garments and particularly uh, the apparel that's made from sort of the finer microns that attracts the higher retail price. And that's just due to the ongoing um, economic sluggishness of the Chinese economy. Um, so the final impact, as I mentioned, is competing natural fibres, and that is cotton. We're likely to see wool come up against increasing competition from cotton over the year ahead, uh, with global cotton production tipped to be the highest on record and 10% increase in global cotton ending stocks. Pretty big numbers there. Um, all of these things point to continued pressure on the global cotton price, which of course impacts the price competitiveness as wool uh, as a natural competing fibre. Um, but to finish on a positive note for wool, we're really seeing great industry progress in regard to animal welfare outcomes, and that's particularly relating to mulesing. Uh, and these credentials we know are so important in supporting wool in its endeavour to differentiate itself against other competing fibres. So for the 22-23 season just gone, 23% of wool uh, that's declared under the National Wool Declaration System, um, and that in itself captures about 75% of the clip these days. Um, so 23% of, of what's declared is declared as non-milled um, or as coming from a property that has since ceased mulesing. So getting up towards uh, a quarter of the declared clip. Um, this figure's increased just a little bit on the prior year, 2.5%, but more interestingly, um, it's now double what it was back in 2015-16. So quite significant progress, um, which is a, a really positive thing for the issue. It's, it's a long concern, long-held concern for the industry, um, which is great to see progress and, and surely can only be a good thing for the long-term future of wool. And that's it for wool. Thanks, Mark. Anything cotton? Um, if you could give us an update on the outlook, that'll be great. Thank you. No worries. Look, cotton finds itself, with all the discussion about El Nino in different cropping areas, one that has set itself up very well uh, for where it is going next year. We are forecasting for cotton with the 2023-24 crop largely in the ground, almost entirely in the ground at the moment, that the planted area of cotton might be down slightly, down by around 16% to a bit over half a million hectares. That's because some farmers will be thinking that the dry conditions might make them try another crop in some parts of their farm or maybe leave some areas fallow this season. That said, that's still going to be the sixth largest planted area on record. So it's still a big cotton crop and it's 50 percent higher than the average area over the last 20 years. Uh, the cotton forecast, that's also uh, meant to, uh, you know, in terms of overall production, go down slightly by about 8 percent. And the reason for the difference between the cotton area and the cotton production falls is that there is a forecast that cotton yields will actually go up in the coming year as well. Um, and why is this happening? That's because the industry has continued to expand its irrigation infrastructure across many cotton farms, so it will have that availability of water. So it increases the yields. At the same time, and as you talked about at the start of this, Mark, there are ample levels of water storage across a lot of areas, and particularly in the Murray-Darling Basin, where so much of the cotton draws its water from. So we are likely to see yields uh, actually increase, and that could be a benefit for much of uh, the, the cotton growing areas of Australia. So things looking pretty good there. 
there will be ample supplies. Uh, export markets are remaining strong for Australian cotton, particularly to Vietnam and other markets as well. Uh, and then I suppose the big question comes to prices and where are they? Cotton prices are globally um, clearly down right now, and cotton particularly is always based on consumer sentiment. Um, it's a discretionary product to a degree in terms of clothing, in terms of furnishings and other things. It's been down for a while, but the cotton processes offshore are usually, and history shows this, good at picking when the consumer sentiment is likely to go up again, uh, and they will start buying in advance of where they think that will be so they can process and have their products ready. And there is some thinking across the industry that that is likely to see an uptick in cotton prices sometime in uh, potentially around mid-2020, 2024, if not earlier, as those factors start to change. So things looking reasonably good for Australia's cotton producers heading into next year. Moving on to sugar. I think we're going to talk sugar now. Um, you've been having a look at that one. I think um, prices have been really strong for our, our cane growers, um, although maybe yields have been tested following uh, the, the more recent floods. But over to you to talk sugar, please. Thanks, Mark. So, as we come to the end of 2023, we come to the end of the harvest, Australian sugar industry does find itself in probably one of the best positions of any of the agri-production sectors. A strong season finish with the Australian crop currently at 81% completion um, with approximately 24 million tonne harvested to date. Bit of um, dry weather in the north uh, has helped them to get the product, the raw sugar, into the mills. Um, the current price outlook for sugar appears to likely to remain strong for the next marketing season. It's lifted considerably over the past couple of years with the IC number 11 currently back around the peak we saw in May 23 of 27 cents per pound, US cents per pound. This is being driven by global supply issues and competing uses for the product. So the global supply surplus is projected to fall by an estimated um, 0.6 million tonne by 27-28 marketing season, which is putting further upward pressure on global prices. Internationally, dry conditions have seen the Indian government impose tighter tempor um, temporary restrictions on with them putting a complete export ban in place and um, helping them to shore up some domestic supply. Similarly, Thailand has also seen their crop impacted by wet weather conditions, further reducing their supply into the global markets. Uh, on the other side, uh, rate increased rainfall in Brazil has halted the production of raw sugar. And this is coupled with increased prices for ethanol back to where they were in July 22. There is ongoing concerns for their supply levels coming out of Brazil. For food manufacturing companies, this, these production issues globally have meant the high price of sugar could become a factor in food inflation pressures, given that it's a base ingredient in so many products. However, for Australian producers, given that we have had a pretty good finish and are looking like we will get pretty close to the forecast harvest levels, um, Australian producers are well placed to take advantage of these strong prices um, and the opening up of other markets due to those, those declining supply levels internationally. 
Thanks very much, Courtney. And thank you to all of our analysts uh, this time around. Uh, challenging times, no doubt, in pockets, but um, glimpses of opportunity for some in the short term, but certainly for most still in the medium and out term outlook. And we'll be back to tackle all of that in next year's autumn edition. Um, but for now, thanks so much to Michael Whitehead, Alana Barrett, Adelaide Timbrell and Courtney Kemp. Have a great summer season, everybody. And hopefully we'll see and talk to you all soon.